Hello and welcome to The Property Show. I'm Andrew Montblake and with me is my co-host Louisa Fletcher. We're here to talk about all things property. So whether you're buying, selling, renting, letting or simply staying put. We'll be chatting through the latest news on the housing market and mortgages as well as sharing our advice and expertise to help you get the best from your home. In today's show, Lou will be talking about what improvements really add value to a property and how lockdown may have changed our views on open plan living. Monty will be looking at the cladding scandal and its impact on thousands of flat owners when it comes to getting a remortgage or selling their homes. He'll be explaining why you really need two types of survey when you buy your next home. And of course, he'll be sharing his latest crop of top mortgage picks. We're here to help you make money, save money, and most importantly of all, protect yourself, regardless of where you are on your home ownership journey. You ready for this, Lou? I was born ready, Monty. Well, here we are again, Lou. Welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, it's great. Thank you for having me. It's second episode. It's awesome. It, it I know. went okay the last time, right? <laughs> well, yeah, well, we're, we're back doing another one, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't too bad. Um, and we've got a lot to talk about in this one. Some, we have. Some really interesting yeah. things. So, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Coming up, we'll be talking about um, open plan living and how that's changed and mortgages and dipping into the cladding scandal, which is, uh, well, you could actually do a whole podcast on, yeah, on that in itself. Easily. But yeah. um, how's your week been? It's been, it's been busy. It's very busy in property world. Still lots of people buying houses at the moment, lots of people selling. Um, and I'm coming to you live from my dining table today. I've got a nice cup of oh, tea. Oh, your dining day. table? Yeah, proper rock oh. and roll. Proper rock well, and roll. Well, I'm still in my little room, but I have got a, <laughs> a nice Eden-flavoured candle burning. So I'm oh, feeling very chilled and relaxed. Nice. <laughs> but anyway, people don't know want to know about that, do they? Um, <laughs> it's... Um, Actually, I'll tell you what, you mentioned something to me when we were chatting the other day, um, which I thought was quite interesting and, and probably a good, good place to start. You said that you think that the Roaring Twenties, because that's what we're in Because that now, is what we're in now, right? Yeah. In, will be all about dinner parties and barbecues. Yeah. Are you I sure? Think, yeah. I d- well, how'd, you, how'd you figure that? <laughs> well, um, just hear me out on this one, okay? So Go on. You've probably seen, you know, over the press in the last week or so, that it's it's looking pretty lightly that hospitality venues, so restaurants and pubs, probably won't get to open until May, yeah. um, at the earliest, perhaps. Um, and then we've got sort of large events. Um, you, you know, you probably saw in the news this week that Glastonbury, sadly, has been cancelled yes, this I year. Yes, I know, gutted. Yeah, I, I was. Um, so, you know, hopefully we will be able to start socialising in small groups you know, maybe April time, maybe March, if we're, you know, if it all goes the right way. Um, which means if that's the case, then you could have small groups around, perhaps for a barbecue mm. if the weather's nice, or maybe a dinner party. And I think there are quite a lot of people. I mean, we were chatting about this just before we started recording, weren't we? That we were kind of saying, you know what, it might well be that there could be a series of lockdowns again next winter. I mean, I, I know we all hope there won't be, but I don't think anybody would rule it out right now. No. So I think if that's the case, then there's kind of this cultural shift more towards entertaining friends and family at home than perhaps going out as we used to, Mm. maybe. So then if you take that as the starting point, 
you can see how people who are going to be moving home in the next year may start thinking, well, actually, do you know what? We, if we're going to have friends around more, then we need space to do that. And actually, yeah. it then starts to promote a different thought process around how people use the space in their home. If that so you mean sense. like more dining rooms or yeah, I think opening so. everything up? I, I mean, I think so, because it, it used to be up until, you know, up until all this happened, um, you know, people were actively getting rid of dining rooms because it was that room yeah, that was used at Christmas and like on the odd time when, you know, you had like a posh dinner party um, or, or, you know, you use it as a storage room or you use it as a kid's playroom. But obviously there's been a movement in you know the last sort of 20 years really to kind of knock through and create these sort of all expansive kind of living room, kitchen, diner, playroom areas, which is lovely and great. But I know of quite a few friends who've been working at home with kids over the COVID lockdown period and where they've got these open plan living spaces, they've actually found it really quite difficult. Yeah. You know, noise. <laughs> so you've got people <laughs> yeah, tell me about it yeah, yeah so there you go so you know you're trying to work from home you may have a partner who's also working from home you've then got kids who are you know homeschooling and everybody is obviously in you know within earshot of each other so is that going to mean then that families will seek more defined spaces and by that I mean rooms with doors on mm. right so that you know Children have their own space. Adults who are probably more likely to be working from home now have a door that they can shut to get some peace and quiet. So does this all make us think about what constitutes a good living space in a different way? Yeah. No, you're right. I quite like that. I quite like that idea of having the posh room back. You know, the room you're not allowed to go in when you're kids. Yeah. And you can have – so does that mean we're going to see the uh, the trolley – what were they called? The hostess with the the, the, yeah, the trolley hostess, the hostess trolleys, and uh, fondue evenings and that yeah, kind like, of stuff coming back. Yeah, well, we're going back to the seventies. Yeah, it is. It's like you know, but I do, I do just wonder if these kind of events do trigger a different way of living. And you know, it's not a stretch of the imagination to think that there are going to be hundreds of thousands of people that are probably going to be working from home for the long term as a consequence mm. of all of this, it's simply because companies have, have now worked out they perhaps don't need a massive office that everybody has to be in five days a week. Um, you know, they can take smaller office space, which then provides much better, you know, returns for their bottom line. But also it, it means that, you know, employees don't have to commute every day. They can work from home. If they need to come in for meetings or brainstorming sessions with staff or whatever, great. But it's a very different way of working. And if that's the case, then, you know, people need to take a different approach to being set up for success when it comes to kind of working from home as well, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, funnily enough, we had a discussion this week about uh, turning our dilapidated garage, which I'm, I'm looking at now with it, garage door hanging off and no roof into uh into a proper office right so that we, right. so that we can actually work properly and i can shut myself away and you know not worry about um the kids screaming and interrupting every every two minutes um so so yeah i can see that so what sort of properties do you think w- really will be in demand in the future then so i think there's there's going to be two sort of schools of thought so as you've just touched on 
you know, I think there's a real need for people to have a proper desk and a chair and a work set up so they can work comfortably and safely from an ergonomics perspective because no yeah, one absolutely. wants like a quick back or shoulder or stuff, you know. Um, but also having that door that you can shut and work at the end of the day is, I think, really important for your own sanity and mental health. It's just kind of like, right, work is over now. I'm going to walk away from it. So I do think that properties that have studies, um, an office, or perhaps the scope to create one, will you will see a rise in demand for that kind of property. I, I do think, I mean, that's already happening, but I do think mm. there's more of it this year. Um, but I think also, you know, homes with outdoor entertaining zones um will be a lot more popular so these are at the high end these are kind of outdoor kitchens which are quite incredible um but it could be something uh, you know a little bit lower key like a barbecue pit kind of brick built you know all that kind of stuff doesn't cost a lot of money but it's it's robust and it will it will stand a lot of treatment over the summer so that could be something outdoor bars um i've seen a rising trend over the last two to three months of people installing party sheds in their gardens so this is I'm kind all of, over that yeah I thought you might I'm that. I like yeah I yeah. definitely want a party shed party bar shed. at the end yeah. of the garden yeah yeah fantastic well, wrong. right so party shed and you know it's it's a real thing it's out there on Instagram and you know I can absolutely see how people would go do you know what actually I I, I want my mates around I want to be in the comfort of my own garden and home and if I've got the space and and the room in the garden I'm going to do it so I think that Although that kind of stuff is a faff to install, Mm. I think that we might see homes that have those kinds of things probably, um, I wouldn't say command a premium so much, but I do think they will sell a bit quicker because people will see it and go, gosh, that's such a great idea. It's a really, and it creates another kind of usable space. It, it, you know, so I think that that's, if I had to put my money on it, that's where, that's where the two sort of trends are going to be having a really cool office, home office. Or yeah. having this outdoor entertaining zone. Yeah, I like that a lot. Well, that's great. That's made made my mind up. Then I'm I'm not going to do the loft conversion. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna uh, have the office in the garage and um, and a party bar outside. Yeah, <laughs> you're set then. You, you yeah. know, you could work from the party bar. Even I mean, what what could go wrong, right? Well, yes, that is. Yeah. No. Oh. God, can you imagine? <laughs> Actually, we won't go into that before my mind goes off on a tangent. Anything else to add, Lou? I just, I just think that you know, if you are, if you are thinking about an open plan layout, because there are people who are going to be considering, you know, having work done um, instead of moving this year. And I, I would just encourage you, if you have kids, if you work from home, do think very carefully about going to an open plan living layout. It can be, it can be fantastic. And um, yeah. from personal experience, you know, I'm working from home full time at the moment. So is my other half. We have an open plan. Um, living kitchen dining area and a kind of like a sort of separate living area but they're connected by an archway so although they're separate rooms I can still hear him when I'm on my zoom calls and vice versa (laughs) (laughs) so you know just think about it before you take the door out is all I would say yeah I like that yeah no that that's um that's very good advice very sage and that's definitely helped me so yeah, that's my decision made up. Oh, Thank you. Nervous, sir. <laughs> your job here is done. Thank you. Um, just a reminder: you're listening to the Property Show with Andrew Montlake and Louisa Fletcher. Coming up, we'll be talking about cladding and the issues involved there, as well as having a quick look at mortgage rates. And Louisa will again be talking about some of the changing fads in 
properties. So, Monty, I've got a question for you. Have you? I have. I was explaining <laughs> to someone the other day, um, some friends of mine are moving home, and I said to them, oh, okay, have you got, have you got a survey sorted out for that? Yes. And they said that their mortgage lender had already sent someone round to survey the place that they were buying, so they didn't need to sort anything else out. <laughs> so do you I, I know that I know this is a this is a heated topic, okay. And and I kind of sort of put my head in my hands and went, no, 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 it, that's that's not it. So I just thought, why don't we talk through why why somebody might need two types of survey and give people a bit of an idea what surveys are all about. Yeah, this is a really interesting question. Obviously, we get asked this all the time um, in, in, in the mortgage process. So part of the lender's job is obviously, as well as working out, are they going to lend to you, is are they going to lend on the property? And the way they do that is they commission their own valuation. And the key point there is it is their valuation. Okay. So basically, a lender just needs to see a basic report, which is for their use, not for your use, it's for their use. And so usually they send someone in to have a look around. They usually spend about 10 minutes in the property. Um, and it's just a cursory look at the property to assess how much the property is worth. Okay. And they will insist on using a company that they trust. Uh, in, in some cases, you do have to pay for that. Okay. Um, but these days, lenders, especially if you're first-time buyers, um, will do a free valuation. So they'll include it in the cost because they're not paying very much for it and someone will just go around and you know not spend that much time on it. So it doesn't point out real structural issues unless there's something glaringly obvious. Um, and as I say, the key point is it's for the lender. So in some cases you as the applicant don't even see it at all. So you don't know if there's anything wrong with it. They haven't knocked on walls and lifted up carpets and stuff like that. Okay. So if you're purchasing a property, you're spending, say, half a million pounds on yeah, a property. quite easily, I would suggest these yeah, yeah, I wouldn't rely on that because we advise every one of our clients to take a more detailed survey out, something that is done for your benefit, so if the valuer misses anything or it finds out that there's any issues that you have to fix, you know exactly what you're buying and how much cost you're potentially going to have to do to fix it. Okay. So this this is kind of the situation my friends are in. So they had confused what was obviously their mortgage valuation with a survey. Yeah, that's so, right. Totally so what we're different. saying here is that the, 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 the valuation that, that occurred just told the lender that the property was worth what they were lending on it and that and and that they were okay to progress yeah. on the mortgage. Yeah, right. okay. that's right. So there are more detailed surveys that you can then have. And there are three main ones, really. One is a, a home condition report, which uh, just identifies any risks and potential issues and highlights any urgent defects. Um a lot of the time that's used for maybe a new build or a conventional home in a really good condition. Okay. Um, so there's there's no real advice or valuation in that, but it is done for your benefit. And that's the cheapest, most basic survey you can get. 
Um, one thing we recommend a lot is is the home buyer report or a flat buyer's report, um, and that is suitable for you know again modernish properties in a reasonable position in a reasonable condition. The cost of that starts at around about four hundred five hundred pounds maybe, okay. um, and it's a lot more detailed in terms of what it looks at. Uh, and it will look at things like, you know, potentially there might be some some damp, uh, etc. It will tell you if there's any obvious major problems, okay. obvious rots, subsidence, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, okay. But again, it's it's still non-intrusive, so it doesn't lift up floorboards, drill right. any holes, etc., right. etc. Okay. Okay. But it is a really good middle ground mm. if you're buying a property which is in reasonable condition. If you're buying an older property um, or you're spending, if you're spending a lot of money on a property, then we usually say go the whole hog. You might as well get a, a building survey or a full structural survey done. Mm-hmm. And that really will be an in-depth inspection of um, of the property. Um, and it will have a rating system to ensure that you can identify the most serious issues um, and it'll be a really good detailed 30-40 report which you can rely on um, if there's anything that the surveyor's potentially missed. You've got course of action to go back to the surveyor because it's done for your benefit rather okay. than the lender's. Okay. Um, and it, it, just, it just really helps you identify that what you're buying is not going to be a money pit <laughs> and it's going to cost you a fortune over the next few years. And I think, you know, you made the point that you know you, you could be spending I mean the average property price is what two hundred and fifty three thousand pounds according to yeah. the last lot of data we talked about that last time and so if you're spending a quarter of a million pounds you know you'd want to know that what you're buying I mean you wouldn't buy a car without knowing that it had an MOT and knowing no, that it had a service history right so yeah. I think people do forget this and you know there is a a bit of a misconception that oh well if the mortgage lender says it's going to be okay it'll be fine and you know rightly so if you're if you're spending a lot of money wouldn't you want to know about any problems that that were inherently you know you you were perhaps going to you know take on board when you bought that property or at least know if you're going in with your eyes open if there is if it's a listed property for example if there's an awful lot of maintenance that, that that's required you know what what that could cost you and i don't yeah. think people really grasp how valuable these things are no you know, absolutely what they're spending yeah and the other thing is that if you do identify some issues that's going to cost you money then you can go back to the agent and the vendor and say look we've identified these issues it's going to cost us ten thousand pounds for mm-hmm. example um therefore can we have uh, a bit off the purchase price mm-hmm. So it's actually a really useful tool for negotiating the price you actually pay for it in the first instance. So what we're saying is that a survey could actually, it could easily pay for itself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I shall tell my friends that. They may be listening to this. But um, if in doubt, if you're buying a property, get a survey. Don't just rely on your mortgage valuation do get a survey could be could turn out to be the best few hundred pounds you ever spend yeah thank you thank you monty i knew you'd know the answer to that <laughs> um now while we're on the subject of mortgages um on a on a bit more of a sort of serious note something that's been mm. in the news again this week 
is um, the huge issue of cladding on flats, which, um, you know, it's making it pretty much impossible for the people affected to sell these flats um, or indeed even in some cases get a remortgage, which, you know, it's... Um, I I can't begin to wrap my head around how awful and stressful it must be for these people. But Monty, from from your perspective, what what would be the problems that, that these people would be experiencing? Where, where does where is all this coming from? Why is it a problem? Well, I, I mean, this is you know to 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 use the word tragic in uh, in these circumstances is not an, an a, uh, you know it's, it, it's not a word to be taken lightly. It's it's mm. it really is that. We've got a, a whole host of people um, almost becoming mortgage prisoners, and especially trapped in high-rise blocks or, or mm. high-rise flats, uh, especially during a lockdown situation, mm. Mm. Um, in flats that they know they know are unsafe. Gosh. And they bought them in uh, with goodwill. Some yeah. of them, a lot of them, first-time buyers, really mm. excited. You know, remember mm. how excited you were when you mm. bought your first home. Yeah. You saved for seven or eight years, and and you, it turns out that you're in a flat that is potentially a bit of a death trap. Wow! And it's it's something that that has caused ruptures across the whole industry mm. uh, in the wake of Grenfell, which mm. really exposed mm. how a lot of these buildings were built. And the type of cladding that, that was put on the outside of the building, sometimes mm. just for decorative purposes, mm. um, and the fact that they are highly flammable. Um, so it is a genuine, genuine problem. And there's been a lot of talk about how to rectify it. Um, the government have come out with, um, I think it's about a £1.6 billion um, scheme. If, if, you hear, if you hear lots of paper rattling, it's because it's something that I've looked into yeah. Quite a lot. I've got so much detail on on what's happening here. Um, so they've got a, a a pot of money, which is is by no means enough. I was going to say, I know that sounds like a big number, but you know what? It probably isn't going to cover it, is it? It doesn't feel like that's going to be enough. No. Well, at the moment, the cabinet are tussling around um, around launching another ten billion, so a, a okay. ten billion pound plot for cladding victims. Mm. Um, but the problem is, is how that is paid for. Mm. So the aim at the moment is that uh, there'll be this pot and people who live in these properties can basically get their share of that, but it forms the basis of long-term loans. So the problem with all of this is who is going to pay for the repair of these flats. Mm. The builders are not exactly quick at putting their... Their, home, their arms up okay and the tenants are the people who bought the property the leaseholders mm. are the ones in the firing line and I've I've wow. read loads of stories of people who are faced with bills of fifty thousand pounds <gasps> even up to a hundred thousand pounds as their contribution as their share Gosh. to make this right and in some cases there's one example here of someone who bought a flat for a hundred and thirty thousand pounds in Leeds and they've now got a £50,000 bill. Oh, my goodness. Which they can't afford. And there was another story of someone who simply just handed back her keys. Mm. 23-year-old, really excited, saved for seven years, oh, that's had to hand back her keys, and she's made herself bankrupt. 
It's heartbreaking. So it's ruined not only her life now, mm. but also her, her future financially. So this is something that, without going on and on about, the government really, really, really need to get a grip with. Mm. They mm. need to make the builders, the house builders, who, let's face it, have made billions in profits over the last few years, a lot of it down to the government taxpayer-funded scheme helped to buy. Mm. Um, there has to be something serious in there that is going to contribute to fixing this problem that isn't going to fall on the tenants mm. who, through no fault of their own, have bought a property that is now unsafe. Oh, gosh. So in terms of people who, for obvious reasons, aren't able to move because all of this is going on, um, but perhaps need to remortgage in the interim. So, you know, say for example, they bought they bought this apartment through the help to buy scheme. You know, they were on a five year fix help to buy product mortgage. Yeah. Um, and now, of course, that's coming up for renewal, and they now need to move on to a different mortgage product. Are there are there lenders that are being sympathetic to this? Um, well, this is really difficult for the lenders as well. So mm. the government came out with something called an EWS1 form, mm. which is an external wall system um, fire safety check. Okay. And it's a form that basically has to be filled out um, to show that all the fire safety checks have been done. Because the problem is this is affecting now loads and loads of buildings, even when there's just a little bit of cladding. Mm. because valuers don't know whether it's safe or not. I was going to say, how do you know, right? How do you know if it's decorative or... Yeah. 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 So there's been a battle going back and forth between builders and managing agents around this EWS1 form. Um, and the government did come out and say that they had secured an agreement that owners of flats and buildings without cladding do not need an EWS1 form to okay. sell or remortgage their property. And they reckon that would benefit 450,000 homeowners. Wow. However, if you're a lender and the valuer goes round and says, do you know what, I'm not really sure, mm. no valuer is going to sign that off. No, no. They're still going to ask for an EWS1 form. So we've had lots of examples where the managing agent or the estate agent say, no one isn't is not needed, we're not going to provide one. But the lender is saying, well, you're not getting a mortgage mm. then until we get this because we have to know that our security is safe and the flat mm. that the people are buying is also safe. So lenders still need this. So if you are an estate agent listening and you think you don't need this, unfortunately, you do need this. Monty says you do. Monty you do. do. It's, so, it's not me, it's the lenders it's still the lenders. saying if the valuer says you need it, then we need to get one. So what would your advice be to people who own flats, they've heard about this in the news, they're not sure if it's going to impact them or not, whether or not they're coming up to remortgage or whether or not you know they're thinking need to, need to move. What, what would you say to these people? What could they do to help themselves? Um, the first thing is to make sure that the, the, the documentation and, and the forms are there. So if they speak to their managing agent, if they speak to their um, the estate agent or the um, 
all the builders they bought the property from mm. and see if they do have the relevant fire safety checks in place. Mm. Um, that's that's going to be a key starting point. Okay. The problem at the moment is I don't have much good news for those people because it is very, very difficult to secure a mortgage or to sell a property if you're in one of those flats with with those issues mm. um, and it's something we have to keep campaigning mm. to the government about and uh, a, a lot of press have, have picked it up and are compa- campaigning very strongly on this mm. and um, I fundamentally back them this is mm. this is a real scandal going on now that needs to be needs to be resolved quickly. I think it's fair to say this isn't going to go away anytime soon and I'm thinking that this is probably not the last time we're going to be talking about this in the next few months, is it, Monty? No, sadly not. But mm. but hopefully next time we do talk about it, it will be some good news. Mm. Let's hope. Yeah, let's hope. Just a reminder, this is a property show with Lou and Monty. Um, still to come, we'll be talking about mortgages and, um, well, various other things, really. <laughs> I'm not sure what's coming next, Lou, really. Why don't we go with the flow? Um, <laughs> so we were chat- we were chatting earlier about um, sort of things that people are looking for when they're looking for their next property and how that's changed over COVID, etc. Yeah. Um, but for those people who are going to be staying put and are thinking about getting some work done, what's your advice around what really adds value? <sighs> okay. So before I start, I'm going to apologise because I may get a little controversial and a little bit heated. I've never heard you get controversial. <laughs> go, on, go for it. I'll, I'll see if I can wind you up. <laughs> go on. Right. Off you go. So when you're watching those property porn TV programmes, I'm not going to mention any names, but you know what I'm talking about. And the presenter stands there and says, and by spending just a few hundred pounds on painting and decorating, (laughs) they added thousands to the value of his property. I am stood in the corner of the room shouting at the top of my voice (laughs) at the television. And basically, in the vast majority of cases, it's just not true. It just isn't how it works. It's just there to make good telly, okay? That's not the real world. Okay. You shattered my illusions there. <laughs> but you see, the thing is, because we've been exposed to 20 years of these programs where, you know, people go on TV and talk about the fact that by adding a bit of nicely coloured, bright wallpaper, it's magically going to sell your house for tens of thousands of pounds more <laughs> than you expected. That's miseducated consumers. So you can't blame consumers for thinking that it's a good idea if this is what they've been fed on property tv programs yeah however it does really wind me up and i'm being very measured as i speak at the moment because i'm trying not to say a bad thing <laughs> i could see a property tv program in the future <sighs> no I, I don't think it's a very good idea no um so yeah so this is the thing so what there's there's this massive disconnect between what people think adds value yeah and what really does add value so what does add value so you were just talking about mortgage valuations and surveyors and all of that kind of thing. And I think that where we start at is the majority of surveyors would tell you 
that in order to add value, significant value to a property, you've either got to substantially improve its condition. And when I say substantially, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, take a wreck and, and, and create something that's, that's livable in and habitable and nice. Um, yeah. Or add usable living space. So adding bedrooms, adding bathrooms, adding additional living rooms. So you've either got to add square footage, square meterage, depending on which one you work in, or yeah. you have to substantially improve its condition. So that's technically what really does add value. So for example, a single or double height extension where you're adding rooms is adding value because you're actively adding livable, usable space. Yeah. Okay. It's expensive and there's a lot of upheaval, but if you're going to add serious wedge to the value of your property, that that's one way of going about it. Then next down the ladder would be loft conversions. So plenty of scope there. But again, you have to create usable rooms. So in other words, you would need to have windows and a fixed staircase for it to be considered livable. Um, but you know, you could get a lovely master bedroom suite and a little ensuite in a loft. So that's my fireman's pole idea out then. (laughs) <laughs> we won't talk about that. You're going to start talking about your party shed again, aren't you? I see that. <laughs> Sorry, go on, um, carry on. <laughs> but so, so the whole the whole kind of idea here is, yeah, a loft conversion can be cool, but it it can't it can't just be somewhere that you know you you, you park a, a chair and it's a bit boarded yeah. out and all of that. Yeah. It has to be a proper room. So, the biggest winner, which surprises a lot of people, but if you are developing with an idea to make profit. And we'll come to that in a minute. But actually, it's creating off-road parking space, especially if you live in a city. Yeah. Because by converting your front garden into a parking space, especially, I mean, I lived years ago in Barnes, um, and it was great, and Barnes is lovely, but you couldn't, you know, there was no parking off-road kind of thing. Everybody parked on the road. And I would have, literally, I would have paid good money to be able to park right outside my front (laughs) front door. Um, Yeah. So, you know, if, if you're able to, by applying for a drop curb and creating, you know, and doing it properly, it doesn't cost a lot of money. You're only talking maybe, you know, between 1500 and £2,500. Mm. Um, but the value it can add can be absolutely significant. So that's a good mm. way of doing it if profitability is uppermost in your mind. That's very interesting. And that's going to become even more to the fore when people have got electric cars and mm. things like that, isn't yeah, it? Absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. Yeah. So if those who are thinking about a project, what's your advice? So I always say to people, before you're thinking about doing any of this, do some investigating and see what properties in your road have sold for. Because Every street has what's called a ceiling price, which is it doesn't matter. You could build the Taj Mahal, but you're never really going to achieve over that ceiling price. So Mm. what you wouldn't want to do is make the mistake of spending tens, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds on really significant development and then find that you will never achieve what you've spent, much less make any profit. So it's really important that you not just, especially if you're buying a property with an eye to redeveloping to make profit, that you need to make sure your numbers stack before you even start. So if you are in doubt, you know, you could, if you are taking on a project with a view to selling in the next year to 18 months, I would say there's absolutely nothing wrong with having a chat with a good local estate agent, explaining what you're doing, talking about, you know, the fact that 
if they're prepared to give you some advice now that you would seek to list the property with them once it's it's ready to go and and get their view because they'll be able to tell you pretty accurately what the ceiling price is for that road um and they might give you some advice that you hadn't thought about so that's a good place to start mm. um but the other thing i would say is if you're going to be in a property for 10 years or more then think about what will enhance your lifestyle first and then what will add value yeah absolutely after that. Yeah. yeah but if you're thinking of selling within two years then it becomes all about profitability and recovering your investment in works and seeing an upside in some profit. So then it becomes more of a numbers game. Okay. But there is something else. <laughs> it's always and something there's else. There's something else with me, right? Go on. So you need to make sure that whatever it is you're thinking about doing can either be done within permitted development rights yeah. or if you need to get planning permission. So for those who've not been involved in any of this before, you can do a certain amount of work to your own property if it falls within the permitted development right structure. Um, but it depends on where you live in the country and what sort of property you have. So if you live in an area of outstanding natural beauty um, or a conservation area, or if it's a listed building, um, or if it's a leasehold flat, something like that, you may find that you still have to get permission. So do, do, do check. If you're not clear, always, always check. Um, really good website to have a look at is Planning Portal. .co.uk. There's loads of good advice there. There's an online tool to help you find out if you will need permission or not. So do have a look at that. But even if you don't need planning permission, you probably still will need to comply with building regs, building regulation, and you will need to get building reg approval once everything is finished. So you'll need to have your approval when you come to sell, for example, because that's going to be a key part of the legal process. Okay, that's very good. I've made a note of that website for my... um for my office in the garage. Look, you shouted at me before. I did. When we were doing the trailer. I did. And you said, not swimming pools. Mm-hmm. Why not? I'd have thought, so what, what, I'd have thought that, that would have added value, wouldn't it? A nice swimming pool. So there, there are two or three things that constantly come up again and again as something that people install thinking it's going to add so much value and then finding it actually becomes more of a problem. So swimming pools would be one of those things. So they are really Marmite. Some people think it's awesome and you know the height of luxury. Other people yeah. basically see it as really dangerous for kids and pets. And then they look mm. at the cost of heating and the, the ongoing maintenance of it. So for them, it's a real turnoff. And in my experience, there is a buyer perception that it costs so much money to rip out a swimming pool. So in you know in the past where I've had clients who've been struggling to sell a home that's got a swimming pool, I've actually advised them to spend a couple of grand fill the thing in and actually the the home is sold because right. buyers see it as as an obstacle. Okay. So I would I would absolutely say to people if you're thinking about putting a swimming pool in and you're going to be in the property for 10 years, great. Um but don't bank on it being a, a profit maker. And hot tubs are the same. Hot tubs can be very divisive. Yeah, so, um, I can understand that. And another thing, so you touched on talking about, you know, maybe converting your garage. So this Don't tell is, me that's on the list. Well, it, it kind of is. So <sighs> another common mistake that people make is they have um, an, an integral garage and they think, well, we need an extra bedroom. So great. There's a door to the kitchen. You know, it's fine. We'll, we'll make that into a bedroom. And that's not a good idea either, because actually garages do add quite a lot of value to a property. 
And most people don't keep their car in the garage, but they do keep loads of other stuff. So it's really yeah. valuable space. Um, but the bigger thing is if you take a garage and then make it into a bedroom, the layout becomes compromised of the home because then you've probably got a bedroom that either goes straight into a kitchen if, if you're really unlucky, or it might, if you're slightly more lucky, go in to your downstairs hallway. But that's still a bit weird because most people would perceive that a bedroom has to be upstairs in a two-story house. Mm. So that that is something I would say avoid if you possibly, possibly, possibly can. Um, if you absolutely need the space, and do you know what? I get it. Some people do. Um, then just be aware of the fact that in a straight fight between the house up the road that's maintained their garage as a garage and your property where you've converted your garage into a bedroom, you may find if both were on the market at the same time that the one with the garage probably would sell first and possibly for a little bit more money. Very interesting. So that's... If you really need to convert your garage, the best advice I can give you, um, other than going through all the other stuff about checking with permitted development rights and getting your building regs signed off and all the rest of it, one thing I would say is um, in an ideal world, you'd replace that garage with, if you've got the space to do it, a new garage. So you're, you're not losing anything, if that makes sense. So not every to you, I'm going to put an office in there. And a music studio, hopefully. Music studio, yeah. Okay. Good <laughs> um, so you said yeah. um, cosmetic changes, like yeah. like redecorating, don't yeah, really no. add value. No. So it will make your ho- your home easier to sell. It will make the property easier to sell. Yeah. So it's you know, sort of dated, you know, decor, and you've and you've refreshed it and brought it up to date, and it's all nice and clean. That will absolutely make a difference to the speed at which it sells because obviously it's it's going to look nice and fresh in the photographs um, and it's going to look you know very nice and tidying up together when people come around to view it so it I'm not saying it it won't be a benefit I'm just saying spending 500 quid on paint and wallpaper is not going to add 10,000 pounds to the value of your property okay and you see I did all of that without swearing are you proud of me did very well. That was that, that wasn't that much of a rant, really. There was a little bit. I was worried at start, but you sort of came back from the precipice. Yeah. Well, there's there's one there's one last thing, and I would say conservatories. Right. Conservatories. Conservatories. Yeah, we demolished our conservatory. So you see, again, these are very divisive. So one man's conservatory is another man's UPVC box from hell. And you just don't know which way it's going to go. Um, But the big thing with conservatories is if it's going to add value, it comes back to that thing I said earlier about being usable living space. So if it's an orangery and it's got proper central heating in it and it's, you know, nicely ventilated, so it means that, you know, you you don't get stiflingly hot in the summer and you're not freezing in the winter, that ticks the box as being usable space. If you could sit in it all day and work in there, absolutely fine, crack on. But if it's something that, you know what, here's how I would, here's the top tip, right? If over Christmas you had food, and you put it in your conservatory because it was cold out there and it kept it chilled and you didn't need to use a fridge, I'm going to go with that's not usable 365 days a year. <laughs> okay? So that could represent a challenge when you come to sell. And then you get buyers who look at it and go, well, you know, the house is nice, but they've stuck this conservatory on the back and it's not in keeping with it. Yeah. So again, you know, just be cautious. If you're going to live in the property for a long time and you're going to use this, 
great. But if you're trying to sell it within the next two years, think very, very carefully about what you're spending. Okay. Thanks for that. That's mm-hmm. that's good advice there. <laughs> I learned something. You're welcome. <laughs> um, um, yeah, we probably should talk about something else because we're definitely not going to get sponsored by Anglian now, are we? Any, any... No, no, you're not. So, so there's, I'll cross them off the list. Yeah, we'll cross them off the list. So come on then, talk to me about mortgages. It must be time for Monty's mortgage picks. Well, we've, you know, we've, We've talked so long, I'm not sure we've got time now. So oh. what I'll do is I'll just give you a very, very quick Go on. Go a on. very quick guide to what's what's happening. So so the good news is that lenders are coming back into the market quite aggressively, um, certainly around um uh the the normal 60, 75 percent loan to value rates and even ninety okay. percent loan to value rates, which we talked about in the in the last episode, have come down a little bit. Okay. Uh, you can still get so if you if you did have a forty percent deposit, you can get a two year fixed rate at one point one four percent. Whoa, that's so cheap. Or a five year fixed rate at one point three four percent. In fact, you can actually get a little bit cheaper than that five years. You can get one point three three percent through NatWest's green mortgage. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a property that's energy rated A or B then you can get um, a little bit less there. And we'll talk. We'll probably talk about we'll the whole green, green mortgages, yeah. concept mm. because that is really going to affect properties mm. Mm. in the future in, in another episode. Mm. Um, if you've got 15% deposits, then you can get a five-year fix at 2.8% Very through good. Yorkshire Building Society or 2.85% through Clydesdale. And just keeping an eye on the 90% rates, mm-hmm. uh, Nationwide have got a – 3.24% two-year fix um, mm-hmm. or a 3.44% five-year fix. Okay. So still around 3.5%, but, mm-hmm. but they have come down a little bit. And I expect and them to available. come down quite dramatically. And they're available. That's the main which thing, is, yeah. Which is the key point. Yeah. Awesome. So there you go. There's there's a little a little view of what's going on at the moment. Oh. But we're done. We're out of time. Time flies when you're having fun, right? Well, yeah, apparently they say that. <laughs> <laughs> that really dragged. No, I'm joking. I always have fun talking to you, Lou. Oh, right back at you. Um, thanks so much for everyone listening in again. If you do like what you hear, please give us a rating or leave us a review in your podcast app. And don't forget, um, we are here to help with your property problems and your mortgage dilemmas. Very happy to see what we can do. Um, So if you would like our advice, why not drop us an email to hello at theproperty-show.com. And if you want the very latest on the property market from the two of us, please give us a follow on social media. You'll find us on Twitter at Property Show Pod. Thanks very much for joining us and we'll see you on the next one. (laughs) 